you get right up to it, right up to one side of this hurricane. You get through vet school, you get through technical school, you come out into the profession. You have just you have just gone through one half of that hurricane. Yeah. And you are sitting in the eye of the storm. Yep. And there is just so much shit and destruction around you. Mm -hmm. it, the whole thing is just whipping around. You know, we got to bring in the demo crew to clear this out, clear the land and rebuild. Right. We have to get out of the eye of the hurricane, the eye of the storm, and we have to punch to the other side. What's up, everyone? My name is Ben Glasscock, and welcome to the first episode of the podcast. On today's episode, Dr. Riel and I will give you a glimpse into the hurricane-like state of the veterinary industry and how it impacts us as vets, technicians, support staff, caregivers, and ultimately how those all affect patient care. This project is not a motivational speech, a rah-rah event, or an escape from your difficult career. This project is a call to action to improve the variables that lie in front of you, to use the tools that we make available in your own life to adapt and to improve. But that is enough of my rambling. Without further ado, podcast episode one, a call to action. The, the whole idea behind this thing is to reach out to those that are early, early season in the veterinary industry, right? Right. Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, what we have, especially in our industry overview, but really what we're bringing to the table is Paw Health is I think we can help so many different people at so many different levels. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to start somewhere and, you know, trying to look at, you know, it's like my dad said growing up, you know, it's just that how do you eat an elephant? You yeah. know, it's just one bite at a time. I hated that saying when I was a kid, I hated it. Um, but really in the end, it is just that is you, you know, start to piece apart these massive, massive projects. Um, and I think that's who, who ultimately we can start to identify as our, our targets and, um, you know, what it is we have to offer when we can offer it. You know, you can't be everything to everyone all the time, right. um, which I, I think, you know, we'll find um, bleeds through a lot in our profession is that, you know, as veterinarians, as technicians, as medical support staff and, um, you know, caregiver support, we try to be everything all the time. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't exist. No. You know? No, there's only so much energy and so many hours. You can't, yeah. you can't do it all at once. No, and I, and I think I think there's kind of a stigma with that is um, to not be everything all the time. I think weighs on us, mm -hmm. um, you know. And I think in my career, what I've learned up to this point is, you know, especially from the animal care standpoint is that everyone gets care eventually. It may not be with you at that moment, mm -hmm. but it does happen where they get care, their patient gets care, and eventually they're served. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, just, I don't know of really too many other industries um, in the United States or in the world where you have one business that does 100% of everything, and it does it well. You know, I, I'm sure that it, it exists in, in some capacity, but um, it currently doesn't exist in the veterinary profession. Okay. Um, and, you know, there could be arguments from one industry to the next, but because uh, obviously there's large players in other industries. But yeah. as the veterinary profession is concerned, we just have to acknowledge that it's okay to not do it all at once. Right. Um, and I think you're exactly right. I think our, you know, 
primary point of conversation or discussion is kind of that younger generation of veterinarian Mm -hmm. um, that uh, either is in school, just coming out of school, been out of school for a few years, um, you know, and that's, uh, you know, one of the groups that would be the most receptive to change. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think our profession as a whole, because it's so just ingrained in tradition that once some of those traditions kind of seep into you and creep into you, they just sort of stick and they're there. And, um, that's interesting that you bring that up though, because I, you know, just having learned recently that it was started in 40 years ago, right. Um, to have that, I think what it is, is it's more like there's, you're on the edge of the first, like changeover of tradition. Correct. So I grew yeah. up watching baseball. Baseball is rooted in tradition, right? Right. It's the whole part of the game. Yeah. But where there's a there's the cultural element of the today's game that's like, oh, things are changing. Yes. It's not comfortable. No. But the game that was a hundred years ago is much, much different <laughs> than it is today. Yeah. I feel yeah. like the profession is kind of in the same place, except correct. You, but you have this educational side. Yep that is so rooted in it and continues to perpetuate that system that it actually moves much slower than the culture does. Correct, correct. The culture, uh, not just the culture of veterinary practices or the expectation of veterinarians, but just the culture of what it means to be in, um, you know, cohabitation of an animal, possession of an animal, you know, have an animal in your household, is that there is there is a, definitely a, a social element to having an animal in your household, mm-hmm. which wasn't here 40 years ago. Yeah. You know, we had we had farm dogs and farm cats. And I mean, you know, talk to some of your elders, you know, some of the grandparents out there. And it's like, you know, some of them now, of course, have animals in the household. Right. But that was not the standard in the <laughs> 60s and 70s, you know, and, and that was that was that shift. You know, like we said, you know, small animal medicine is only 40 years old. It's like it was all animal medicine up until about the 80s. Yeah. You know? And then once we started to see the influx of corporate dollars, both in, um, you know, pharmaceuticals um, to uh, research and university university levels to diagnostic companies. That's what really caused that upswing in the development of the small animal profession and where it sort of started to split away into now we have, you know, large animal, farm animal, right. you know, and even that split into, you know, equine to dairy work to cattle work to even then your small ruminants. I mean, it's starting to separate out just like the small animal side. It used to be, you know, small animal. Now it's, you know, we got dogs, cats, you know, the pocket pets, you know, the reptiles. I mean, even that's yeah. starting to. Well, and you have special within all of those yes, too. Right, right. Yeah. Body system specialty right. on top of then, you know, individual preference. Um, but yeah, and that's, and that's where I think when you're continuing to educate students and you're continuing to educate the future of the profession in a profession that no longer exists, that's one of the big disparities we have right now. Um, and you know, when we start to look at what is, you know, Paul Health Network's sort of industry overview is those antiquated business practices, but really this sort of lack of infrastructure, this lack of service, um, is that's where there really isn't continuity from one new graduates experience to another, um, between one practice to another. But even then, like I said, within the university setting, they're still kind of teaching 
business models that worked well in the 90s, mm-hmm. you know, and saying this is how businesses run. And, uh, you know, we can touch on that later, these top, this top bonded practice model, right. um, you know, some of these these really kind of older, older things that, um, again, socially and culturally do not fit where the country is or the expectation of care, I guess. Well, want to I mean, you're, you're talking about a pre-internet business model. Yeah. <laughs> like, isn't that the best way <laughs> yes, to put it? Yes. I mean, I know the internet existed before uh, the 90s, uh, but correct. it was much, much yeah. different. Yeah, no, it was yeah, exclusively. And now, and now you're still, government. there's still a lot of that going on. But you yeah. also have, I mean, there were people that were practicing in the 90s that yeah. were at that initial onset that oh, are yeah. still unretired. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's where, um, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Katie, she, um, you know, I still credit her to saying this. She still kind of denies it, but you know, it is definitely part of it where, you know, she says that, um, you know, what I'm doing is I'm chasing a ghost of my own creation, you know, is that I, I, I identified when we started, uh, Paul health network, um, in, uh, uh 2015, mm-hmm. um, is I already knew we were 10 years behind. And, you know, what we've been trying to play catch up to is saying we have to get to where we should have been 10 years ago um, right. now so we can then set up the 10-year future ahead of us. Right. So that's why she jokingly says I'm chasing a ghost of my own creation mm-hmm. because it's, it's not just a matter of progress. Is we have an incredible amount of work um, before we can even get to the point that we have standardized infrastructure um, mm-hmm. between practices, between practice styles, between veterinarians, but that's just one part of it. Um, you know, and if we, you know, kind of look at the actual industry overview, I mean, between culture, service, and talent, these are all really, really big chunks to our profession that need a significant amount of work. And that's the 10 years we should have already done up to this point. Yeah. You know, and um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. So um, when we, uh, we're starting to create our mentorship program. Um, I had approached Michigan State University, just being my alma mater, mm-hmm. and saying, okay, listen, we have to do more for these students because talent is a really big problem right now. The education system is um, not really giving them the skills and tools they need to get into today's veterinary marketplace, not not the one right. 10 or 15 years it, it ago. Was the, it was the quality of the talent, not necessarily the yeah. volume of talent. No, no, just the, the volume there. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And it's not to say by any means that you know today's veterinarian is any less qualified or any less intelligent or anything like that, but it's just the tools and resources that they actually mm-hmm. need to function in today's veterinary market really isn't being taught. So it's that's one of the big differentiating factors is they aren't any different. It's just the hurdles we have to get over is, like I said, the 10 years to 10 years is they're coming in now where we should be 20 years from now where today's veterinarian is entering into the marketplace right um development wise yes so it you know to say uh, if we just continued to pro- you know uh, progress the business model in through the 90s and 2000s it wouldn't even be a discussion we wouldn't even exist because the infrastructure would already be there yep um so when we approached michigan state um you know this was uh geez, uh, it was probably right around 2016 something like that yeah um you know, uh, when, I, when I was talking to, uh, you know, some of the, some of the heads of the college, um, uh, or at least um, yeah, uh, uh, the technician, uh, the head of the technicians and so on and so forth, um, basically, you know, one of the things they come back with me on saying is, um, you know, how do we get veterinarians to value certified technicians or licensed technicians or registered technicians? It depends on your state, but it's all yeah. the same thing. A yep. uh, veterinary nurse is a new um, term that, that they're adopting. Um, so how do we get veterinarians to value these individuals and not just from a job performance standpoint, but now from a pay scale standpoint mm-hmm. on saying, how can we pay them more? How can we get them more benefits? Um, because one of the, one of the t- statistics we have right now is that most of your veterinary nurses, so registered, licensed or certified, um, is they're out of the profession in seven years. 
they're done. They're done. They're, they're done. Yeah, and, and they, yeah, that's a nationwide statistic. That's yeah. not even, you know, and my, my numbers may be a little bit off, you know, 7.5. Either way, is, but less than 10. Yeah, less than 10 years. A seven-year age, and then they're out of the industry. Out of the industry. Right. The, the burnout rate is high, and I think, you know, right now we have a lot of discussion about veterinarians and, um, you know, the plights of veterinarians and, um, you know, the, the suicide rates, and we know, you know, in comparison to the general public, uh, you know, male veterinarians are two times more likely, and I think females are three times more likely to commit suicide in, in relation to the general public. Yeah. Um, yep. But that's, you know, if we start to look at the veterinary technician, you know, who also has this drive for animal care mm -hmm. to then say, well, you know, they're just out of the profession. Right. You know, it's like, that's not any better. No, you know, to no. say it's like, well, at least, you know, you know, the suicide rate's not as high. It's like, but that's not the point. You know, the point is that, um, these officials, these people who I looked up to when I was in school, who, you know, really had it together back in the early 2000s, they're saying, how do we, how do we, how do we? And, you know, I kind of started looking around the table and I was like, this was the same question you asked 10, 15 right. years ago. Right. This, this was the same problem we had 15 years ago. And it, it was one of these where, you know, it wasn't necessarily an epiphany moment for me, but it was one of these where it was like, how 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 we have we still not right. figured this out? How do we still have a question? To <laughs> correct. When it's fifteen plus years of yeah. trying to figure out the answer. Correct. And and I think so. I think that's the exact point: is who's figuring out the answer? Right. You know. And I'm not saying that veterinarians aren't working hard. I'm not saying that veterinarians are the fault. I'm not saying technicians are the fault. But I think, um, you know, one of the one of the better pieces of advice that I had gotten. Um, in my early my career, um, actually from my um, you know financial advisor, my accountant, um, but really he's uh, he does a lot for me. Um, he said you have to work if if you're a business owner, you have to work eight hours a day to maintain mm -hmm. and ten hours a day to gain. So if all you want to do is you just buy a business, you run that business, you keep business current model as it is, and it's just going to be your workhorse, and this is what it is. Have your nine to five job. Yeah, come in, work your eight hours, and that's the end of it. And I was like, well. I said to him, I said that, well, that doesn't really work for us because most veterinarians work 10 and 12 hour days minimum. Right. So when are we supposed to find the extra time on top of our other parts of our lives? I mean, be in an environment where you don't have a 24 hour emergency clinic. Yeah. You're, you're, you know, 90 minutes, 90 minutes outside of town. Right. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, well you work nine to five, but now you take your own call, your own emergency. Do you have kids? Do you not? Do you have a significant other? Do you not? Do you have your own house? Do you have your own well being? And it's like, where do you actually find the time for this? Yeah. Um, so I think again, it's 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 part of what is the culture, um, you know, the talent, the service of the veterinary industry, and just saying there are certain expectations that um, they worked. 30 years ago, 40 years ago, when the volume of clientele was smaller. Yeah. When you have the same number of households, or, you know, we're not, it's not Levittown. We're not building, you know, tons and tons and tons and tons of houses. Or, you know, right. there, there are more people, eh, respectively. I mean, our capita goes, or, you know, our, our population goes up. But the number of animals per household is steadily increasing. Yeah. And isn't the AVMA estimate for felines like 2.1 and then dogs is like one and a half? Yeah. And it used to probably be about one less on both of those. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. Sense. Absolutely. And, and that's, and that's, of course, you know, I, I like averages, but you know, I like medians too. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's like, it's crazy it's how like, different those yeah, are. It's like, okay, that's the average, but, uh, really where is sort of the middle of uh -huh. that, you know, but, um, you know, still it proves a point is that, you know, I think the, the business model that had worked at one point in time with that expectation of care in those hours, um, is it was, it was just a different world. Like you said, it's a pre-internet world. Yeah. Um, right. You know, and I think, um, 
you know, that, that is a, a good and place, a good and bad place to be. Right. Um, I, I'm losing a little bit of my train of thought on that though, but it's like really when you say about having a less of a clientele. Yeah. So the, the industry was developed in a time of economic prosperity in the eighties. Yep. Everyone had more money than they had ever had before, at least Correct. in American culture. Sure. 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 Um, yeah. So post got, world war two post. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Reagan's in all of the, yeah, everything, all the Vietnam. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So you've got that. Then you pile on like there are less patients because uh, it's a it's a new industry, correct? So yeah. developing, a, right? It's a developing industry. Yep. And yep. then so you've got that, and then so if I take those two pieces, and then I say I'm a new business right. in this developing industry, yeah. who do I want to get? I want the affluent. Sure. Right. Yes, absolutely. Because for me, I'm a I'm a startup. Yep. If I can get the people that have money. Yeah. Startup in a new new in a developing brand. industry. Right. But the that's cool trying part to redefine of, itself. Yeah. And the cool part about that is like in that time, the people that had money would also be able to understand the care. Sure. Because they could pay for it. Sure. They could take the time yep, to, to understand, understand it. Mm-hmm. Those that didn't, that weren't as affluent, yeah. number one, probably didn't have access to that, you know, to two in-home pets or something like that. Sure. But also didn't have the time or the resources necessarily to understand the level of care that was being necessary for that yeah. relationship. Yep. So yep. you take that and then with those variables, it makes complete sense why the industry caters. Yep to the top 20%. Absolutely. Because that's where it was built. Yep. Now you have all of those people that yep. thank you for starting it. Like that's oh, absolutely. Awesome. Give them They're a the ton of credit. Absolutely. They they broke away so I could have my job today. Exactly. You know, there's yeah, it's uh, uh Edison he says um uh one of my favorite quotes and I might do it a little wrong but it's um you know uh, um I'm only great because I stand on the shoulders of giants. Exactly. You know, it's, it's, it's how I live my life. I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful for those who have come before me to set the wave for my lifestyle and also the future of the profession, you know, yeah. and it's, it's the same thing. I think part of that too, for me is ingrained in coming from an immigrant household. You know, I mean, it's, you know, between my Italian and, uh, you know, uh, Yugoslavian upbringing is it was always, we were always creating every generation was making a new life, a better life for the ones that come after them. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's kind of how I see that caretaking of the veterinarians who have come before us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a time when, um, the elders need to be recognized as elders. Um, right. And, and yeah, we need, that was kind of where I was yes, headed with yes, that, where it's like, yes, thank you for doing what yes, you're doing. Absolutely. But, and I, and yes, you guys are giants that created an absolutely. industry that did not exist. Yeah. And now the giants run the educational side and yes. it's almost as if they're cast in stone. Yeah, they yeah. haven't. They're mm-hmm. they've they've gone from giants to titans. And yes. Titans move really really <laughs> yes. slow. Yes, yes. And uh, I, I do enjoy me some good Greek mythology. Exactly. You know? uh, yes, yes. Kratos <laughs> would be proud. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we so we have that in it, and now we're stuck because those because it's so new. Yeah. They started it pre-internet. Yeah. They're still ingrained in the educational yes. side of things. Yeah. Um. Yep. Even. Maybe having too much power, I don't know. Yeah. I didn't go to vet school, yeah. but then you have this upbringing of yeah. all of these kids that were raised now, correct, in an internet culture. Yes, when things move so quickly, yes, 
and they're expecting that. Yes. And I think, you know, it, it brings up a very good point because the, you know, when we start to talk about one of the issues we have with culture is exactly that is a human animal bond. And, uh, we've, we had, a, um, you know, uh, some articles written on interviews that I've had and so on and so forth on this human animal, this human animal bond in saying that, um, you know, on, on one end of the spectrum, you have working animals, uh, you know, uh, farm animals, yeah. you know, on the other side of the spectrum, you have these fur babies, right? Yep. So, you know, when you start to look at sort of this mixed population of clientele, like when I got out of school in uh, 2006, right, mm -hmm. we very much had a mixed population of clientele. We had some of those people who had fur babies, but that was not the standard. Yeah. The standard was you had kind of a middle-class family, middle-class dog, middle-class cat, where it was just, you know, this is an animal that is in our house that we care for. It's a member of our family, but there was never a discussion of child. That was not really the, the cornerstone as much as it is now. That was, that was 2006. That was 13 years ago. That was 13 ago. years ago. Right. Okay. So we're talking about now, like, let, let's just, let's just be the devil's advocate here. So let's say you bring a 10 year old mm -hmm. into 2005, 2006. Right. They're 23 now, 24. Mm -hmm. So what we're saying is, is in the amount of time and just my career in the last 13 years, 14 years, that now we've been having this shift of paradigm and culture towards, um, this fur baby dynamic, right? right? Where it's, this is my child, this is my fur baby, which is fine. I mean, that, 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 that's their definition of human right. bondage. That, that yeah. would support whatever anybody's definition is, whether it's a working animal to um, a fur baby. It's, it's, it's their attachment, and that's something that we need to support. But right. if we look at saying, well, now we have these 23 to 26-year-olds who grew up emotionally or uh, physically in a world where we were transitioning towards fur babies, well, what's the average age of most veterinary graduates? I would yeah. have to guess. <laughs> it's mid twenties. Uh, yeah, twenty eight. Yeah, yeah, so they're yeah. all yeah. coming out. Yeah, so all, all most of your veterinarians coming out now have this high emotional investment into animals because to them it's not just um, man's best friend. I right. mean, because that that was you know every country song before the nineteen eighties was man's best friend. Yeah, you know, uh, on dogs, yeah. you know, is it's like you know, um, but you know when we start to look at then saying that you know we have this culture shift towards um, these fur babies and you'll start and that's part of the emotional investment in today's world for today's veterinarians is that if these veterinarians are coming out of school with the attachment that they're understanding they got into veterinary medicine because they want to care for animals they got into veterinary medicine because they see fur babies they want to be a part of this world yep. and they come out and it's like <sighs> I got news. Not everyone has that attachment, but you grew up with that. And I'm not saying every veterinarian thinks every animal is a fur baby. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying in, in this group that's e emotionally invested in the care of their patients. And when that in, in emotional investment is higher than the emotional investment of the client, yeah. um, who of course we call caregivers, right. um, that's then where there starts to become a disparity where it's like, whoa, I have to do this for this patient. I mean, that's just, that's my code of ethics. That's what I mean. That's what it has to have an animal. And the person like, nah, you know, right? I, I understand. Or I don't have the funds uh, yeah. to do that. Well, that that I feel like is is a part of it, absolutely. And I don't think you can ever ignore that because there is the the 
human animal bond spectrum. There's also the financial spectrum. So right. we talked about the top 20% being affluent, but that's where you start to then have a significant problem when you start to have misalignments of the human animal bond and the uh, financial bond or financial spectrum. Yeah. So the spectrum of human animal bond and the financial spectrum, where now in some circumstances you may have really high bond alignment where it's like, this is my fur baby and really low financial spectrum. Right. But then it all comes back onto the veterinarian. How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? This is my kid. This is my baby. And then the veterinarian's like, well, yeah, shit, I know this is your baby. And that, I mean, that's how I think about it too. And, you know, and then it just becomes, you know, it's like, oh, you're not going to do this. And you're like, well, I can't like, it yeah. costs me drugs. It costs me money to buy these drugs or my employer. And I have an expectation and they run the place and I can't do payment arrangements and there's no pay, um, cash up front, everything right now, cash up front. So it just becomes this kind of constant ongoing conflict between the actual veterinarian that's coming out of school now, their understanding of care to sort of the real world application of care mm -hmm. in, in, in that, that, that dynamic shifts from a semi-rural environment to a highly urban environment, to a purely rural environment, you know, to then say we have such a huge shift, even regionally within a several county circle on the expectation of human animal bond, financial spectrum, you know, mm -hmm. to then saying, you know, what we have the ability to do as veterinarians or businesses and who's really in charge. And then at the end of the day, you are out there and you're just doing your best and you're trying to help patients, you're trying to help caregivers, you're trying to keep the staff happy, you're trying to pay people well, and then you just get obliterated online. Then, <laughs> then, then you just get you the do your absolute, absolute best, and then you just get shit on. Best, and then just shit on. Yeah, you know. And it's because there is so much work. And I think, you know, to circle it back to sort of how we started this little diatribe is just saying, when the hell do you find the time? Right. When, when, when do you find the time to do all of these things to manage all of these pieces from culture to business to you know, talent, students coming in, you know, veterinarians or technicians, we have to try to train or office manager. I mean, where's the time? Yeah. And I think, I think that's where me personally, what had happened was I came out of veterinary school when I was 23 years old and it's pretty crazy to think about that in hindsight. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it was just, I was good in high school. I got good grades. I was like, I just want to be a vet. So I went and did my undergrad. I managed to knock out my prereqs. I got through vet school. Um, and it worked. And, you know, for me, I think, you know, the year I went in, there was um, 1,800 applicants. I think they took the top 110 or something like that. Um, you know, so I mean, it was a very, very competitive field, um, you know, to at least even start out in. You know, there's a lot of students who didn't have it as fortunate as I did. But I think in the end, what it allowed me to do is once I got out is um, I'm like the world's best people watcher, you know, is, you know, I, I love going to, you know, uh, anything from uh, monster truck rallies, you know, to just like sitting downtown on the square and just watch yeah. people, the movement of people, you know, yeah. they say humans are animals too, you know. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, I think when I came out of school and, you know, that was 2006, that was pre-economic drop, right? Yep. So, um you know, I came out and I had essentially seven-ish years, six, seven years to when I then met 
my classmates. I mean, most of the class, my class, I think, I think it was a little bit older. I think we had a lot of second lifers coming in at school, but I think the, the average age um, might've been close to 30 or just over. I had, I, we can always double check that stat, but the idea yeah. was, is that I, I basically fast tracked it and I got out. Mm-hmm. And when I got out, I was just kind of paying attention. You know, you get through vet school and, um, you know, that's a whole different discussion. We start to talk about talent and self-worth and, uh, complete loss of self-worth, I guess, coming out of it is a better way of putting it. But anyway, you, know, you come out and you just, you learn to be wary and you're just watching and you're, you're not really sure what to do. And I just had, you know, I thought, you know, before vet school, I thought it was really smart, but I kind of come out and I feel like a fucking idiot. So <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to kind of watch some things and see what happens. Um, and, and, and that's ultimately then coming up to when I hit 30. Um, mm-hmm. That would have been, uh, what, 2010? as 82. So 2012, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was like, there's a lot of stuff going on here in this profession, a lot of stuff that we just talked about. And, you know, I think what, uh, one of the talents that I have is I am a veterinarian, but I think that the talent that I truly retain is problem solving. And I think, you know, after seven, eight years of veterinary practice, I mean, if you kind of start to learn, you're like, there's only so many tests, there's only so many drugs, there's only so many common diseases, there's only so many ways that people are gonna allow you to test and treat. Um, and that then, I don't wanna say, it, medicine is always going to be challenging, yeah. but there's a certain amount of comfort that comes with experience. Right. Um, and I think, you know, I had, a, I had a really, 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 really cush job coming into my 30s. You know, I mean, I, we, uh, Katie and I, we had, you know, our, our first daughter on the way. Um, or close to it. Um, I worked 13 days a month. Um, I had more money than I would ever use um, as a guy in his 30s. You know, we had a house, we had a 30 acre farm. You know, we had pretty much everything that I could have ever wanted. Like I I literally achieved my dreams by 30 years old, which I mean, it brings a tear to my eyes, but I mean, it's, I, I really hit that mark by the time I was 30. But then I started looking around and yeah. it's like none of my other colleagues have that. Not, the technicians I work for don't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the caregivers that are coming in and, you know, they, they may not have that, but they certainly in a top bonded practice, they're not going to get any type of care that they need. Um, you know, and I think even my wife, I mean, the, the job that she had at the time, um, it was just another one of these very in, in, um, ingrained traditional type practices where it's very slow to change. Um, and she's an incredibly intelligent woman. Oh, yeah. And uh, I mean, smarter than myself, for sure. Um, uh, but part of it is, is just, you know, having the same doctors meeting month in and month out and, um, you know, ha- uh, having kind of a lack of accountability. I think that's where Paw Health excels, of course, in accountability. Yeah. And we'll talk about that when the time comes. Oh, yeah. But anyway, what I'm driving at is, you know, what, what happened to us was looking at all these problems we had in the profession and saying, damn, we got it pretty good. And I kind of started to look around. I'm just like, I'm pretty much just going to throw it all away, <laughs> you know, and because it, it, it's the right thing to do. And, right. you know, for me, it started out by I'm just going to start asking questions and it's going to be the same question every time. It's just going to be why, right? Why, why is it that way? Why is this person coming in yelling at me? Why did I just get a negative review? Why are prices this way? Why, you know, why, why, uh, does a, does a business have to be run top bonded? Why can't we do payment arrangements? Why can't, why can't, why can't, why can't, why can't, why can't. And I promised myself, I said, all right, I'm going to stop when I no longer have to ask why. 
if I go this route, because at that point I was naive, right? right. I was just a vet who's working in North Central Wisconsin. I got a pretty cake job. Mm-hmm. No one around me has that, but maybe it's just this area. Right. And then it's, I stepped out of the exam room. I stepped into the clinic. I stepped out of the clinic. I stepped in the community. I stepped out of the community into the state and then into more, you know, into more, uh, you know, surveying of sort of the region and universities. And it's like, Oh man. Okay. We, we have a lot of work yeah. and that's, and that's when it snapped for me when it was like, okay, this is the elephant that how we started this conversation, right. right? This is the elephant and this is something worth fighting for. The veterinary profession is worth fighting for mm-hmm. and we need people fighting. And I'm not saying we have to fight ourselves into the grave. I mean, inevitably when, no. you, when you hear fight, it's warfare, right? And the warfare means, you know, there's going to be some casualties. <laughs> um, but well, there will be, there will be. Yes. There um, absolutely will yeah. be. It's those that, I, but but it's it's the it's the culture side of things. It's those that I mean, really the the casualty is the dead weight yeah. of this old tradition. type of tradition. Mm-hmm. And now, like, yep, yep, that has to go. Has to. No, we we don't have. That's the problem. Is we we don't actually have an we don't have any options at this point. Yeah. Is um you know you can say what you will about corporate medicine. Corporate medicine is always going to be there. You're never going to get away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think anyone who makes a business, technically we're an S corporation, so fine, we're corporate medicine too. But I think when we <laughs> refer to corporations and some of these large business partners or, you know, large, large um, uh, corporate entities, um, and then it kind of comes down to is a loss of individuality. Right. You know, and I, I think what has, um, you know, really perpetuated this profession and what has now starting to significantly effective is that loss of culture. Mm-hmm. Um it's saying, am I just a number? Do I matter? Does the team matter? Do these patients matter? Or do I just boil down to my production report at the end of the month right? and the end of the year? And did I make production and are they going to cut my wage and what's my benefits and you know, all these types of things. So, um, you know, I, again, I think, I think, um, um, you know, corporate medicine is there, um, and we're never going to get away from it. Um, but you know, when we, uh, you take the culture yeah so you like what you're saying with the culture side is like yeah you have the financial side and all of these enormous businesses that they didn't i mean they it doesn't appear from an outsider's perspective like they put a lot of value time and effort into like one-to-one culture development yeah no i I think i think it's a i think it's a perfect corporate model is it it is exactly the amount of individual and and culture that you would expect in in corporate you know whether whether you're talking wall street or anywhere else is it's that it's that sort of same dynamic where hey you're an employee and you do have value and we do respect (laughs) and value you as an employee here and you know and and, you know but i think um but if you don't make your numbers yeah if you don't make your numbers i mean we got we have to talk about that which is i'm just gonna go ahead and say from an outside like i Sure. As, a caregiver, right. as a yeah. caregiver, as a caregiver, the not, concept of yeah. production yeah. in within medicine yeah. makes zero sense to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. zero sense. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah, and that, that yeah, that's yeah, that's just part me. of the infrastructure, right? <laughs> um, you know, so I, I, you know, again, I think you know, like we kind of said, there's going to be casualties, right? Yeah, and you absolutely. know, I think you know what we're looking for is we're saying that you know we are we are hoisting the flag, we are sticking the flagpole on the ground, and we are lifting that thing up and saying, no, we need people to rally behind us because we have to do this together. Yeah. You know, in the end, it is and always has been us. You know, it, it, it's a, it's a grassroots and a ground level type operation, and you know, for me to come back and say. 
um, you know, uh, why, 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 why is we haven't hit the end of that why yet. No. And we haven't, and I mean, we've been doing it now for five years, you know, on just creating, 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 creating. Um, and I think when we start to get into our discussions of accountability, that's when we start to move up this accountability ladder into solutions and implementation. Mm -hmm. You know, I think as a profession, we are incredibly good at identifying those things that we don't like. Um, mm -hmm. I think in a certain population of my colleagues, I think we do a really, really good job of telling people how bad we have it and through how bad we have it is how we gain some type of sympathy yeah. um, which I don't know any business that can really be built on self uh, you know sort of sympathy in that capacity you know victimization victimization yeah thank you um, you know but again for us if, if we start to look at saying um, you know, let's let's start to really get that flag up. Let's start to rally behind. Let's do it together. Let's have this grassroots type movement. Yeah. I think we're good at um, you know self victimizing. But as we start to move up and saying, all right, yep, I am a victim. But what's the solution here? How can I become empowered? How can I get to that next right. step? It then circles back to what? Well, there's not enough time in the day. Right. So I'm just gonna do right. this again. I'm just going to do this again. I'm just yeah. going to do this again. But it's really hard to advance when your mindset is in the mode of survival. Oh, absolutely. It's almost impossible. Oh, absolutely. If all you're trying to do mm -hmm. is make it to the yep. end of the day, yeah, oh, yeah. by the end of the day, you're so worn out yep. and you're just like, I need to get out. Yep. And, and I, you can't. And, no, you can't. <laughs> no. You can't. No, you can't. Uh, and, that's, and I think that's interesting too because the industry, at least around here, um, yep. is, it, there's so many day practices, right? Yep, sure. Um, you've got your, your nine to seven-ish, you know, whatever, nine to five. Yeah. It's pretty limited. Yeah. And it, uh, and they yes, and they they work on these schedules to like limit it yep. so that they can survive because they can only handle so mm -hmm. much. Yep. And I and I to a point I respect it because oh, it's like they have to survive. Oh, absolutely. So Create they, your boundaries. Right. Yeah. Um, and th and that, well, that comes back to our original point is don't be everything to everyone at all the time right. at all times. Um, you know, and I think that's where. Um, we still fall. We still set these limitations because you're in survival mode and yeah. you're trying to survive. And then when you have a client not like that you're trying to survive, then it becomes, you know, it's like in that day, you're just barely keeping it together. You're like, this is what I can do. This is what I can handle. And that person gets mad at you because right. you're trying to protect yourself. Right. You know, it's like, you know, so that then becomes the why. How do we fix that problem? Because that is definitely a problem for which there is a solution. Mm -hmm. So where's that solution and how do we implement it? Right. Um, and I think that's what, you know, working together, we've been able to do. Yeah, um, yeah, for you sure. Know, um, you know, At it, least to a point. Yeah. Again, you can't please everyone. No. There's always going to be somebody mad at you for something. Absolutely. Um, but I, but like going back to that that concept of, of survival and like creating yep. these solutions, it's like, okay, you've got that. But now you have this system yep. that's been around for 40 years <laughs> right. that has taught you how to survive. Yes. Yep. That's it. Yeah. Not necessarily. I mean, because the funny part is you put so much time, work, and effort into yeah. figuring how to problem solve within a certain subset of variables yes. that you develop the skill set of problem solving, yeah. but you don't have the variables yeah. to understand how to get out of the survival mode. Correct. You can't, you don't yep. quite have, yep. you don't ask why enough. You don't no. have the time to put in to no. gather those variables yeah. to problem solve your way out of yeah. survival mode. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it comes off of the analogy, um, you know, of the eye of the hurricane. Yeah, yes. You know, and I think when we start to look at the veterinary profession and we look at this hurricane or this tornado type, um, you know, analogy is that you get, you get, 
right up to it, right up to one side of this hurricane. You get through vet school, you get through technical school, you come out into the profession. You have just you have just gone through one half of that hurricane. Yeah. And you are sitting in the eye of the storm. Yep. And there is just so much shit and destruction around you. Mm-hmm. It, the whole thing is just whipping around. I mean, it, it's not it's not uh, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz because she's in the cyclone <laughs> in the house getting. We're saying people are right down in the middle of the eye of that storm. Right. And you are running. You are running in the eye of that storm yeah. because there's no way you can go backwards. You no. can't, you can't go backwards. No. So you're in it and you're just, and that, that is the perfect analogy for the veterinary profession because we're just moving with it. Right. And you know, what we're saying is, is that, you know, what Paul Health Network and what we've done and our team has done is we're saying, you know what, we're going to run as hard and fast as we can and fly through the other side of that hurricane. Yeah. And guess what? We're going to play cleanup. Yeah. You know, and we're going to start to turn into these storm chasers where now we are running after the hurricane to just clean up, to just pick up and help. And, you know, what, what is it that we need to do? What, what is the, what is the problem? How, you know, we know how to rebuild infrastructure. We know how to rebuild practices. We know how to do this. Uh, you know, veterinarian coming in, what are you looking for? Yep. Let's see if we can integrate you into the system. Cause guess what? There are, there are two by fours strung everywhere. Right. You know, we got to bring in the demo crew to clear this out, clear the land and rebuild. Right. We have to get out of the eye of the hurricane, the eye of the storm. And we we have to punch to the other side. Yeah. And, you know, I think that we're close to being out of the storm. We are, we are very, yeah. very close. There's a certain amount of fragility to it. You yeah. know, I think any of us can get sucked back in at any we get time. Sucked, it's funny because you get sucked back in by comfort. Yeah. It's <laughs> yes. so weird. Yeah. Because well, I, yeah. I yeah. love the analogy, too, yeah. because, like, yeah, you run directly into the middle of right the storm. Yeah. And then there's thousands of people that are in the middle of that storm saying, you don't want to go back out there. <laughs> no, don't go out there. Don't go out there. Yeah, yeah don't Just go there. stay here. Just it's stay comfortable. Here. Yep. Listen, and we'll, we'll, we'll help carry you a little bit as best as we can. Um, but, uh, you know, it's... it's, it's uh, but it, we can't fix that. Yeah, we can't fix that. <laughs> we don't have yeah. the time. We're just yeah. we're just surviving yeah, in the middle surviving. of this storm. Because if you go out that way, yeah. you might lose. Yeah. And do you have it? No. Actually, we're all very smart people. In the center of this hurricane, you know what's on the other side of that hurricane? It's even worse. Yeah. Everything is destroyed. You have to rebuild it all. Right. Just stay right here. Just stay with us. Right. And I think it, it being such a perfect analogy for what it is and where we're at, that's that's the why. Yeah. That's the why, the why, the why. And that's why I said this profession is definitely worth fighting for because we are on the precipice of, of, of something absolutely wonderful and absolutely new. Um, you know, that again, there's going to be elements to this that are, um, you know, I, I think what I like about what Paul Health Network has done and uh, myself and you and, and the rest of the team um, is that uh, we, we, we kind of took this this creative destruction process. Right? Yeah. So it's um, not that I have a lot in common. I hate to name drop the uh, you know uh, Koch brothers, but you know they kind of have this idea where what, what you're creating right now, you have to be willing to destroy it and move on to the next thing. Yep. Right now, there's no question. You have to let it go, move to the next thing. And that and that's the same thing with Paul Health. Like for me, it's like, okay, what is the next step after Paul? What, what, what happens when this doesn't work? What's the next piece? Yeah. So it's the is this constant model of, of dynamic, you know, uh, um, you know, creative destruction, that capacity. Um, but you talk about comfort yeah. and it's, I felt that le- late last year, yeah. you know, is it's like, Oh my God, the business is doing well where everything is working. Everything is working. Everything is working. And then it was like, Oh, but we need you to be risky on that over there. And it's like, Ooh, <laughs> but I mean, I kind of like where I'm at right now. Right. Like this is kind of a thing. And that, that's part of content creation, right? Like this is, this is, this is opening up the book, the yeah. playbook to what it is Paul health network is and what it is that we have to offer to yeah. anyone and everyone who's willing to look. But it's like, you know, we just, we just kind of created our own wound for which people to pour salt in, you know, say, well, that's here and that's here. But I think, you know, the big thing, like I said, coming back to what we've done well as Paul health network 
is we've taken this creative destruction process and we started to bring in elements from every other industry and saying, well, well, what are they doing over there that works? Right. And what are they doing over there that works? And I think my favorite, my favorite thing is when uh, uh, you and I have a, a dialogue of some sort and you're like, I really think that this, this, and this is really how a business should be run that does this. And you're like, oh, well, yeah, that already exists. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yep. <laughs> And I was like, oh my God, thank you. Yeah. Because I know this is a really good idea, but I'm just not sure I have the time to figure that out. And you're like, oh, no problem. Yeah. No problem. Yep. We'll, Infrastructure is we'll already yeah, there. Yeah. Infrastructure is there. Yeah. And, you know, I think the uh, coming back to, again, one of the things my um, uh, financial advisor had said, you know, t uh, eight hours in a day to gain, 10 hours a day and to maintain. Yeah. Um, is essentially it was like, okay, Riolo, you're going to have to work a lot of hours in order to make this work. Um, and that's where, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, my, my health has suffered as a result, but 18 hour days, Yeah, you know, and, yeah. um, you know, and, and that's consistent. I mean, you know, I sleep two to four hours a night, four to six hours a night. Mm -hmm. Um, and it always comes in cycles. I push myself hard enough that, uh, this most recent time I did put myself in the hospital, but and that, that was, that was, I pushed my limit that's too not far. That's not the norm. No, that's not the norm. I, I right. knew I hit my wall. I pushed through the wall. I knew I was at the edge of the cliff. I jumped off the cliff. Yeah. I knew I needed to pull a parachute and you know all i had was you know just just like a tablecloth and you your know? best piece of advice to anyone that would be listening it'd be like hey guys don't do that don't do that don't just do don't that. do that yeah know your limits yeah, know and your limits. stop yeah. at them yes you can push them you can Absolutely. find where they are yeah. don't go that far but yeah. don't, don't don't jump off yeah. the cliff don't go jump off the cliff yeah with the tablecloth you know and uh <laughs> but you know i again i think you know that's the thing with polyth network is we kind of open ourselves up for critique right yeah Oh, I've heard this over here and I've heard this over here. Yeah, but we're bringing all of these elements together into one roof. Yeah. And it, doing that is we're, we're going to save time on developing content for certain parts that do already exist. Yeah. Um, and and th then that's how we start to save time. And I think um, you're exactly right. I think, you know, people should not have to kill themselves um, for their profession, um, you know, for, uh, you know, and I think what I say is, is I'm the last person in my organization to fall on his own sword. You know, is I, I want the sacrifice to stop with me, yeah. um, but I am not done sacrificing. Right. You know, is I want to start, I want to, I, I, we have created an environment where um, everyone can succeed and thrive. I mean, there are stipulations to that. You have to engage culture appropriately. You have to engage core values appropriately. You have to respect one another. Um, and I think one of the biggest elements to our culture was we toppled the totem pole right you know veterinarians yep. are not at the top of the totem pole no. you know uh the front staff is not top of the there's totem no pole. top there is no top it's yeah. just the, the whole we just kicked the whole damn totem pole over and it's like no we all have specific jobs here and they're yeah. all critical <laughs> oh my god they're you all know? critical I, my, my favorite part my favorite part is when i take i tell a veterinarian to go up to the front desk to check someone out and it is just deer in the <laughs> headlights gloss over deer in the headlights and i was like perfect perfect example of why your job is no more important than someone up front yeah you know and um we've lost veterinarians we've lost technicians we've lost support staff because i think innately um i don't know if it's culturally i don't know if it's necessarily this region i don't know if it's america or whatever it is equality doesn't sit well with people well yeah there's the psychological <laughs> element that yeah. and i don't you know have your opinion on jordan peterson for what it might be and i'm okay either way mm -hmm. but he he does put a good point when it's like we as as animals as we have we are, previously we are referred animals. to is like yes. there is something in our brain mm -hmm. deep down in the center mm -hmm. that says I have to create a hierarchy here. Absolutely. Even if I don't consciously do it. Correct. I mean and and it's still no matter how flat yeah. our organizational structure is, it yeah. still happens. Absolutely. There's still people that 
I, I know I do it myself because I'm super competitive. Like, I want to be the best. And it's not because I want to put you down. No. It's because I want to be higher up. Yeah, It's right. because I want to dominate, and yeah. I want to look so damn good that right. everyone notices, and I'm going to be on the top. Yeah, it's, it's the other a very thing fun too, place to be. But when you're up there, yeah. the key is you have to look down, and you have to say, how can you all get back up here so that I can get even higher? Correct. Because without you, I can't be here. Yep. Elevate the team. Right. Yeah. Bring, and that's, it, bring that's, everyone that's, with you. You raise the bar, mm-hmm. otherwise known as the organizational structure. Yes, of course. You raise the standard yeah. so that you can continue to beat it yep. and then bring everybody else up. Correct. Correct. And Rather I, than the other way, yeah. which is like, no, you go ahead and stay down, yeah, there, stay down there. And I'm going to put a yeah. middle manager between you and a manager between you. And just yeah. so that this guy that's down on the bottom, yeah. I, he's not really valued at all. No. But he's there because right. we need him to be a part of the machine. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Whether you have your regional medical directors to your, you know, I mean, any, any of that yeah. breakdown, same thing. And, and they start breaking down into everything, you know, for your front staff and back staff and everyone has a manager and there's a middle of this and a middle yeah. of that. And I think part of what we had done too is with that top in the totem pole, administration's ground floor. Yeah. You know, the, 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 sure. Yeah. I mean, there's going to have to be a time when, you know, we have meetings among, you know, managers. So everyone's sort of on the same page and we start talking about organization, that capacity. But really, really at the end of the day is in order to establish accountability, in order to establish unity, in order to establish, you know, some of these, you know, trust and respect within the team, which happens to be our four core values. Um, administration has to be there with you. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I kind of, one of the analogies that I've used in the past is a tree. You know, I, I kind of, <laughs> one of my favorite things about, um, you know, corporate America, right, is uh, shit rolls downhill, right? <laughs> yes. Right, okay, shit rolls downhill. <laughs> yep. Um, but what is it that every farmer spreads on their field to grow some of the strongest crops exactly. in the world? Yep. It's manure. It's shit. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of great stuff and shit. Uh-huh. You know, so, you know, in my mind, I was like, you know, okay, if we're going to top, top, top all the totem pole. Really, you know, what can we use as sort of our, our analogy for what it, it means to be in tomorrow's uh, corporate environment or tomorrow's cult, uh, cultural environment or veterinary clinic? Um, and I think a tree is, a tree or a plant is absolutely your best analogy yeah. you could ever come with. And, you know, really the roots of that tree is all of your administration. Yeah. Administration is in the dirt. Yeah. We are down there dealing with the stuff no one wants to deal with simply because we want to have a strong trunk to that tree. Right. That trunk is your support staff. That trunk is your veterinarians. The trunk is your front staff. Um, you know, and that's where we start to branch out into saying, well, if we really want to start to, you know, serve the patient and we really want to start, well, we need educated caregivers. That's another part of the branch of the tree. Yeah. Eventually that leads to leaves. Eventually that leads to the fruit. And of course, then there's the fruit of your labors. Right. But I think when we look the other way and what corporate medicine has been, that is not the dynamic. The di- dynamic is the shit rolls downhill. I Am I an individual? Right. You know, do, do I have any say in my own future? Has right. that been taken away from me? Um, and I think that's sort of the creative nature of a lot of professionals too, is that we're very resourceful. We're very dynamic people. And then it's like, no, we're going to take that from you. Right. And you're just going to, you're just going to do this now. And you know, you know, you can be happy with that. Some people are going to be happy with that. I am not one of those, no. but if you are someone who is happy with that, I would not chastise you or look down upon you for enjoying that all i'm saying is it's not in the numbers right most of us are not there most of us don't want to be there most of us are stressed out and as the generation turns and baby boomers are continuing to retire more and more and more who were who were raised in a system that said yeah you're gonna be a part of the machine and you're gonna be okay with it right and it's gonna serve you really well absolutely oh absolutely now auto industry yeah all that stuff you've got internet kids 
Yep. What's the one thing that so many want is autonomy. <laughs> right. That's it. Right. They don't care about money. No. They don't really care about like this massive financial prosperity and the, the prototypical American dream Correct. or or even building a family. Right. I mean, right. marriage is being delayed. They're not yeah. having kids anymore. They right. don't necessarily need that financial gain, yeah. but they want autonomy. Right. Absolutely. So these large corporate medicine structures, yeah. which are built on the concept of control yep. and, and because it's hard to have a giant corporate structure without it. Right. And it's hard to provide somebody any level of autonomy Correct. because we live in a country built on lawyers uh, right we got that side <laughs> yeah, right, right? right so right. it's it's tough because this generational thing is 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 i think a big contributor yeah to what's catching up to this industry absolutely yeah yeah and i i think yeah and, and that's the other part too is you know we get back to me chasing a ghost of my yeah. own creation is that you know for me to say we're 10 years behind and we have 10 years to go is that um Part of that is, like we said, that group, that boomer generation, these trendsetters, the one, the giants for whose shoulders we are standing upon, some of them should have retired five or 10 years ago or are going to physically have to retire in five to 10 years. Right. They, they're going to have to or die. Right. You know, and I think, um, you know, hearing hearing things over the years is, you know, some, some veterinarians are uh, locked in a place where they're like, well, this clinic is just going to have to be a monument to my career. I'm never going to be able to leave. Yeah. And when the day comes, the day comes, either I'm going to die or maybe I luck out and I retire. And it's, you know, for me, it's, it, you know, I, I think that that's sad in some capacity. I don't think anyone should ever feel trapped. Um, you know, we should always have an exit strategy in anything that we do. But, um, you know, again, I think when we start to look at saying, where are we at generationally with the profession? Where are we at culturally with the profession? Where are we at from an infrastructure standpoint within the profession? Um, they're just, it, it, it's just a very, very difficult place to be as a new budding veterinarian and how you balance all of these things on top of the tradition that's there and trying to eat the elephant, trying to crack the nut, you know, right. these, these different elements. Um, and again, you know, I think, uh, again, like I said, I mean, we as veterinarians are really good at identifying problems and mm -hmm. coming up with new ideas. Um, but I mean, by God, it just, it, it feels more real in the last several months to the last year that holy crap, we have the answer. Yeah. We have the answer and we have to get it out to more people as fast as we can mm -hmm. because we don't have time. We, we, we sure as hell don't have another economic crisis. We're, we're going to lose the, the, probably the bottom 20% of clinics if we go through another economic crisis. If not more than that, depending it, on the severity of the crisis. It, it, exactly. Because the likelihood of the next one being worse than 2008 right. is probably pretty high. Right. Just so, because of the nature of the way that those yeah. work. It has nothing to do with what's actually happening politically or right. whatever. It's just the yeah. nature of crises. Right. They get worse. Yeah, they get worse. Especially this close. Right. This close. Put right. put, put a century between them. Oh, yeah, we'll bounce back. Yeah. You know, but when you start to talk about, let in my career, we're talking two. Yeah. You know, is to say, well, all right, and conservatively, it, it, just off the cuff, we lose the bottom 20%. What's going to happen to those caregivers? What's going to happen to those patients? What's going to happen to the veterinarians? What's going to happen to the support staff? You know, what's going to happen in those in those circumstances where we are still building, we're still we're still running a business that was set in the economic prosperity of the 90s. Right. Um, but again, you know, I think what I'm trying to drive at is saying, you know, we're really good at identifying these these problems um, and to, to come into the solution side of this. Um, we have to get these things out as fast as we can. And I think that's going to be with the nature of our, you know, our, our podcast, um, you know, to the, our speaker series, to our engagement with um, the community, with, you know, our mentorship program. Um, and that's and that's really what ultimately 
ultimately this is going to come down to. Yeah. Um, is we have to do this together. It's going to have to be a grassroots movement. You know, we're going to have to come together um, collectively. Uh, maybe not. Maybe not as an industry. You know, may, maybe this is a sidestep. You know, maybe maybe the industry stays the way that it is because it's an elephant that's too big to eat and we right. can't actually break it. However, there there is always. And I say this is a profession worth fighting for. Mm-hmm. Is we we maybe we break off. Yeah. And we say, this is the way that we are going to conduct business because by God, it has been incredibly successful in the last several years that we've been doing it. Yeah. You know, in, in, an, in, an, in an area, in a time where, you know, th- this particular region, it's not highly affluent. No, there's a you decent know. amount of money yeah. in Central Wisconsin. Yeah, um, it, it's here. But, it's but it's your, spread your, out. your average, because yeah. you have, I think what it is, is you have a lot of top enders yep. and you have a whole lot of bottom enders too. Yep. But the middle is it's there, yeah. but it's definitely lower middle class yeah. as a, as a median. The yeah. average would probably right. be higher, but right. your median is definitely yeah. a little bit lower than yeah. that. Yep. And that's, I think, you know, these types of, um, environments are more common. There's more central oh, Wisconsin's yeah. through the country. Than, yeah. Just, than I mean, look not. at a County map and how many, how many are just, right. uh, just farms. Oh, absolutely. Look, the heart of America yeah. is just, it's just wide open space. Right. Right, and it's it's not even it's not even like you know the two miles outside of the city center is a farm. I mean, we're talking like maybe a half a mile. It's you not know. that far. <laughs> no, no. no. You know, I mean, we got stoplights. Don't get me. we got stoplights around here, but you know, it's you know. not Stratford. You know, right? <laughs> we, are, we have one. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, but it still proves a point that you know there there is that you know old world that still is reminding us that it's there. Yeah, and I think you know for us to not only have put in the time and effort and the sacrifice to build what we've built and that, you know, in an, in an area that we built it and saying, you know, we didn't build a clinic of this, uh, um, you know, the, the prosperous or, you know, sort of the, the success of this clinic in Milwaukee. Right. You know, we didn't do it in Detroit. We didn't right. do it in the Twin Cities. You know, we didn't do it in some of these areas where there's a huge population density that, you know, the top 20% of clientele, there's so many people in that category. You can just work towards that and, you know, have a massive amount. But it's still saying that we are building a business model on the middle 60% of clientele. Right. You know, the top 20%, and that's this thing. I had, um, I had a, um, I would sometimes do phone consultation work for um, a, uh, uh, a diagnostic company, Heska. Yeah. And um, uh, they would sometimes have veterinarians call me because they've had wild success with uh, all the Heska products and machines. I mean, it, it, better than anything uh, that I that I personally have, have dealt with. But um, I have so many different levels, which is a discussion for another day. Just continue to yeah. dig for sponsorships. Yeah, I exactly. No. <laughs> no. It's, 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 I don't need sponsors. I don't need their money. Yeah. So, uh, I don't need anybody's money. I'm doing it. And that, we'll, we'll come back to the money thing in just a moment. Um, but, uh, you know, so anyway, so I I had a phone consultation with, um, you know, a veterinarian one time and she says, Hey, you know, there's, um, a large city, um, about 30 minutes North of me. Mm-hmm. And I have people willing to drive 30 minutes to come see me because my prices are lower than the big city um, and, and they're uh, good value, good value. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she says, however, um, everyone 30 minutes south of me, yeah, I'm too expensive for them. I can't, they can't afford me. The value's there, but they can't afford me. And her question was, she's like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. So drop your prices. <laughs> right? Just if, make it more available. You yeah. already have the business coming out of the Twin Cities. Right. You you already have uh, you know, that 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 percentage of clientele. G- grab the grab the other part of your curve. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying drop it so far that now it's um uh you know, cuz we always uh, have have that balance between um uh volume uh volume uh, and uh um margin. Yeah, margin. Mm-hmm. And then um the uh um let's see. 
uh, what is it? God damn it. Uh, high, I always, I always say it's high, uh, foot traffic and high cost. That's the quality over quantity. I don't oh, know why it was so hard to get wow. that out. I know. Q, that Q was words so hard today, stupid. I guess. Jeez. <laughs> I was just like, what's the matter with me right now? Anyway, so it's, um, you know, you, you don't want to, you don't want to sacrifice your prices so low that now you're devaluing your service, right? You don't want to sacrifice your prices so low that now everybody's rushing towards you and you have so much quantity of business that you're going to lose out on quality. Right. But if, if you got to kind of tweak the numbers a little bit to bring value and market yourself a little bit better in that, in that 60% of your curve, hit for the middle 60 yeah. if you can figure out a business for the middle 60 percent, that that is where the world is well and the thing is no if you're available yeah and you have high value yep. you're going to get the top 20 oh. percent. they're there they're, they're already coming and the other thing is too yeah. if they don't come to you and they go to someone else that's okay that's okay because you have this other huge meat right. of the curve right exactly you're not and not everyone's grabbing for this top 20 percent. Right. it's like no we're, we're focusing on where we came from you know, yeah. I mean, I'm, I i didn't come from a rich family, no. you know, my wife didn't, most people didn't come from rich families. And it's like, you know, I think that was one of the kind of the personal elements to this is saying, you know, I'm up in Wisconsin, my parents are down in Michigan. It's like, my mom has to bring a cat into the vet and it's like, well, what environment is she going into? Yeah. I, I know the emergency clinics where she lives, you know, I know what their pricing schemes are and I know, you know, uh, you know, and it's like, shit, ma, yeah, I mean, I mean, you could have drove your cat through four <laughs> states I could have done the work for you and it still would have been cheaper by probably a thousand dollars, you know, and it's, and not even with family discount. I'm right, not, I'm right, not saying straight. like, right. I just charge mom like a client. You yeah. Know? Uh, not, not, not that I would, um, but, uh, <laughs> but still it proves a point, you no know, special to, treatment. yeah, no Come special on. treatment. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no special treatment. Um, right. Um, but you know, I, I think, I think what comes out of all of this is as we start to move up the accountability ladder, we start to talk about, Hey, we have something to share. We have something that's different. We have something that's for all of us. Um, as it comes back to, you know, digging for sponsorships is that, you know, remember how, what I said a few moments ago, I had everything I needed at 30 years old, right. You know, is I'm unbiable. You, you could buy my practice. You could put a business across the street from mine, shut me down entirely. I mean, there's ways you can do to financially ruin me, but there's, I can't be bought. Right. You know, and I, I think that's a certain level of clout that I come in with and saying, you know what, it is time to creatively destroy most of what we're doing. Um, because at this point it's, it's not a matter of what do you have to lose? It's what do you have to gain? Yeah, absolutely. You know? And what we have to gain is uh, uh, affordable and, and high value patient care. What we have to to gain is mental stability. What we have to gain is work-life balance. What we have to gain is a positive work environment. You know, what we have to gain is, you know, good public relations, you know, wellness engagement, you know, shelter engagement, core values. I mean, there's so much that we can gain in this profession if we just fight. Yeah. And all we're saying is just carry our flag. Yeah. Just carry our flag. And I'm not saying this is some pitch for, uh, um, to be a franchise. To be a franchise. It's not, not it's nothing like that. It's just take the idea. Just take the idea. Yeah. And you know, I think, yeah, we will have we will always be something different to someone else. Mm -hmm. To one company, we might or I'm sorry, you know, to one veterinarian, to one company, we might be a capital investor. To another company, we might be uh, you know, a consultation work. You know, we yep. might, you know, there there may always be some element that you don't need a hundred percent of the pie, but maybe you need one part because you need some help with that. Right. Um, and I think that's where coming back to this autonomy, you know, when we start to look at 
that, you know, why we're sort of looking at this younger generation of veterinarian. It's not to say we can't help people in, in older generations. I'm not saying that. Like I said, we, we're more than willing to be anything that we can to anyone who, who, who is looking for help. But when we're starting to look at preserving this uh, identity of autonomy, um, and we know that from um, uh, Dr. Bridget Pershner, she's the new... Um, Dean at the College of Veterinary Medicine at Michigan State. That was one of her big points when I had a, a sit down meeting with her. Is she says, you know, everyone everyone kind of talks about millennials. And they talk about this new generation. Is oh, they don't want to work. They don't really want to do this. They don't want to do this. They want to do this. And she says, no, flip your vantage point on it. Yeah, they know exactly what they want. Yeah. You know, and yep. that is something that needs to be embraced. Yep. If they know what they want, don't try to feed them something they don't. Right. You know, and that comes back to that idea of autonomy is what can we do to help? Because we have we have pages and pages and pages. And I mean, we, we, we're getting damn close that we're probably just need a book deal, you know, but, <laughs> you know, but, but what would the book be? The book would be like a five part, uh, individual three ring binders of just content right you know it wouldn't even really be a book no. you know i mean sure maybe some it's tools would be, it's, it's tool. a whole big toolkit yep. it's a toolkit because because same as the caregiver resources that we use yep it's, check our it, website don't get me wrong could yep. you put all of those in a book absolutely absolutely yeah. but it, but you wouldn't read it as a book no Mm-mm. it's individual parts to mm-hmm. whatever whatever is necessary yep. right now absolutely. same as our employee reference text like yep. you don't need the whole thing no. all day long no. but when you need the one part yep. boom it's there it's there yep and we and we are doing nothing but creating it and revising it and creating it and revising it and revising it and then having meetings about revising it there are some days where i'm actually <laughs> thinking it's breathing <laughs> it's, it's the living breathing it's document true. absolutely like i feel like i can see it's lungs yeah right right <laughs> yeah 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 and that's yeah yeah and that's you know so again i i think you know, um, you know, to the to the viewers out there that are seeing this, who have you know hung on for um, however long this has been going, um, we're at an hour. Yeah, fant- I think an hour great. is a perfect number. Yeah. Um, you know, for anyone else who you know who's out there that's reading this, is I mean, just you know, if you guys can uh, you know subscribe and, and and pay attention to you know really sort of the guts of what we're saying is, I think the content that we're going to start to put out is going to focus on some potentially hot topics. Yeah. You know, I think it's going to focus on some things that. Um, you know, uh, maybe you hadn't thought about. Um, but I think a big part of it is, is just getting, like you had said before, getting the playbook out there, Yeah. you know, and, um, you know, I think we've talked about speaker series. I think we've talked about a lot of these things, but I think this Avenue is the easiest for people Mm -hmm. throw it on a car ride when you're driving to work, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, anything in that regard. Um, the other thing too, that I'll add to that is it's not like you, you, there will be hot topics that are touched on. We're going to say things that are going to, make some people upset that's okay um but uh, no yeah we will we will and i think it's you know that's part of us um opening up ourselves for critique and it's well right but it's not meant to be provocative no we're not Mm -hmm. doing this just to make people mad really what it is is you're like i i I mean there's a reason that i'm here is like the cool part about this whole thing is that it, it it engaged my desire to be autonomous yeah because it's like, hey, there's these ideas. Yep. Take them, run with them, see where you end right. up, see what happens. Join the team. Because why not? Yep. Like what? The, like it's either that or you just end up in survival mode. Yep. And survival mode is not fun. No, Mm-mm. at all. Like no. the the likelihood based statistically within the industry is you're not going to end up in a very good place. Probably not. You're either going to end up miserable yeah. or dead. Right. Like the, right. by the by the numbers. Right. Yes. Yeah. So and people you wouldn't even think that would even happen to. 
Right. You know, like it's just, it can hit anybody at any time. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I'm guessing that the, tr- the, I hate to use the word trigger, but yeah. like you can go from okay to not yeah. in a really short amount of mm-hmm. time because mm-hmm. compassion fatigue is one of the things that we'll touch on at yeah. some point. Yeah, like, absolutely. That's, that hurts. Yeah, it massive. hurts so bad because it, because mm-hmm. it, you, you push it off, you push it off, you push it off. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you feel like you're rotting from the inside. Absolutely. And then there's like, how do I fix this? I'm yeah. broken. Yeah. Screw that! Yeah, like, absolutely. No, no, no more, no yeah. more of that. So that's that's the whole point of this thing is like, yeah. I, I, no matter what level you're on within within the the um the business, yeah, it's let's take the industry and let's see how to get it to where we're not broken. Correct. Mm-hmm. So the whole like, don't get me wrong. Yeah. What do we use tools for? Correct. To unbreak things. Correct. There are, <laughs> I, I like that. I like that. Yeah. But it's and it's the same reason yeah. why a lot of the caregivers come with their yeah. patients to our clinic. Right. It's to unbreak them. Correct. Correct. But the, yeah. it, it's time to like don't get me wrong, things are going to break. Yep. You're going to feel like shit some yep. days. It's yep. going to happen. Yeah. But yeah. Use the toolbox yep. to to get to the point where you can prevent the break. Yeah. Or yeah. at least fortify yourself Correct. to the For point when it happens. that when it happens, yeah. you know where your toolbox yeah. is and you know how all of these things work. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. man, I'm excited. Yeah. I think we're going to hit a lot of different cool yeah. things. We're going to we're gonna share some cool ideas with a lot of people and um, we're going to really autonomy. This, yeah. That's what this whole thing yeah. does. Yeah. The whole thing, it, yeah, it preserves yourself. Yeah. Yep, and that's um, and the team, and it it integrates, and it's going to be tough. The concept of an autonomous team is a scary one for a lot of people. Yeah, but but if you're going to run outside of the hurricane, yeah, that's what you're going to need. I know, and that's the thing. We got to we got to push the other side, and we got to do it together. Yeah, you know, and um, so you know, again, I think I think we have a lot of value to bring. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, the nice part is we're just going to put it out there. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, if that's, somebody grabs onto it and yeah. runs with it, I'm going to love yeah. it. And even if they create something totally different than what it is we're creating, um, I'm just happy to have influenced or had a part or a role in someone's life where they used some concepts or they used what I might have said to better themselves, right. to better their team. And I think that's when, you know, getting back to what I said originally is when I stepped out of the exam room, you know, I understood that it, when I was in the exam room and I could only ever affect the lives of the people in the room with me. Right. And when you jump into the practice, you can affect more people just because now you're kind of running a whole practice. When you start to look more at the state level, the national level, you start to look at social media level, you start to look at these. It's like you can have, I can have, we can have a significant amount of influence to help so many people that we'll probably never even meet. Right. Um, but we'll be happy to do it. And we're going to continue to do this because we have to. We right. have to. It's it, The profession is worth fighting for. Absolutely. Um, and it's not the sky's falling. This is not a chicken little situation is that, no, we we have we have a very very brittle infrastructure at the moment mm-hmm. and we we need to start to to build a new foundation right so and the opportunity is there for a lot of people too right so all right, right. just get on it so so all okay. right hey we're gonna wrap this one up man <laughs> all right i'm excited fantastic yes yes yeah let's let's cut it and go Thank you for watching podcast episode one. For more tools, information, and resources, be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify. And join the conversation in the comment section. See you next week. Oh,